Hey everybody, this is Armando Torres, and you're listening to the show before the show. And I'm Paige Wesley. And with us we have... Andrea Gazzetta! Yay! And we've got a great episode for you guys, full of white supremacy and fun bits. Yes! Uh, but before we get to that, we got some news and review. Yay! So, as you guys have almost definitely heard, we're doing another live show! Please come! Please don't make us feel like we're alone. <laughs> we're all alone and we're all going to die. Um, San Diego, California. We're doing a live show at the Comedy Palace on Saturday, June 29th at 7.30 p.m. Tickets are on sale now. They're $10. You can find them at coltpodcastshow.com slash San Diego. Or you can go to coltpodcastshow.com and head over to the shows tab. They're $10 online, 15 at the door. Yes. And it's an hour and a half of some of the best research and best jokes that we've ever done. It took us a long time to put it together, and we're all very, very proud of it. Extremely proud. It's a, it's just a fun-ass show. Yeah. This show has everything. Murder. Cults. A big speculation zone to make everyone else jealous. I don't know why. I don't know what the accent is. Is that me? I don't know. I don't know. It started as a small speculation zone, but then we complimented it and it got bigger. Yeah. (laughs) That's not how I sound, by the way. That's really good. What are you talking about? Anyway, what I was saying, (laughs) we've also got one more five star review. This one comes to us from Peeved. 4659 and the subject is brain spiders. Ooh. So you've had a little too much disco potato for breakfast. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot about the funky potato. And you're having a rough time slogging through those spreadsheets at work. We'll give this podcast a try and you'll perk right like Father Little John at a yogurt store. In all seriousness, I've been listening since day one, and the episodes just keep getting better. A uh, little little Pebble Doshi Yukukai, because that was oh. Little John was his name. There we go. There's always a new cult here and there that I haven't heard of, and the excellent banter keeps it lighthearted and entertaining. Lots of good information and plenty of grisly details, too. Yeah. yeah. So many details about bears. Like, anytime <laughs> there's a grizzly, we talk about it. Grizzly details? I also, last episode, uh, while I was editing it, uh, at one point you go, and then he sent these letters to a yogi in India, and I was like, hey, boo-boo, how did I miss it? <laughs> yogi bear. All right. Well, I've had a great time. You guys are great. This episode is really fun, so let's just hop right in. Hello. 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 I'm not going to try and sing. I'm too sick for that. <laughs> Let's go. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. For the purposes of this podcast, we define a cult as organizations that rally behind an entity or leader who espouse beliefs outside the norm. Organizations that require physical or monetary sacrifice as a condition of membership. Organizations in which the doctrines followed by the leaders are different than that of the followers. Organizations in which isolation is encouraged either by commune living or by a policy of disconnection from outside relationships. And organizations that actively recruit new members. All cults might have some or all of these traits, and as always... These are our opinions. Thank you for tuning in to Cult Podcast. I'm Paige Wesley. And I'm Armando Torres. And with us we have... Andrea Gazzetta! Yay! And it's Armando's week! Yes! We're Hello. no longer dying! We're not. We're we're each doing a little bit better. Uh, you can kind of hear a little bit of scratchiness in my voice still. Yeah. Except me, I'm worse. So when I get sick, I get really pent up and I felt like I needed to... Uh, like. Get, like I should have gotten out of the house, but instead I dived into a book about white supremacists. Oh, I thought you were going to keep talking about the harvest, and I was going to have to tell you that I found out like two days ago that tractors have computers in them. Yeah, there's a whole big thing about that because the John, I almost said John Wick tractors. That's why, because Jake was was telling me about the John Wick tractors, and he was just like, yeah, they only, like, they have to send out their own people, and you can't even work on your own, the computer in your own tractor. And I was like, what's this about tractors having computers? And he was just like, yeah. Yeah, it's like a car and yeah. i was just like charles what now and it was oh car you didn't know cars have computers in them no i know cars have computers in them but i was like i didn't know tractors did yeah any basically anything that has advanced systems now need computers in them that's why they cost millions of dollars see i didn't know that either i was picturing a ride-on mower that just had like a laptop duct tape to it and i was like <laughs> the fuck are you doing and he was like Paige, if you've never seen a tractor, and I was like, I've never seen a cow up close. What are you? 
like, <laughs> I, I'm a city girl, and I'm sorry. Well, I'll tell you, you <laughs> I'll tell you what, we're definitely covering a, a, a group today that would be really upset to hear that you don't know anything about cows or tractors. Neither. So... Uh, whenever I feel sick, I I feel like I get pent up and I need to like do something. So instead of going outside or talking to people like a normal person, I just read a bunch about white supremacists. So you're welcome, everyone. Yay. You know, when I think of white supremacy, I think of Armando Torres. <laughs> everyone loves that except for my family. They <laughs> are not fans of that. So before we get into this week's episode, I want to kind of set the scene for you guys. The town of Rulo, Nebraska, sits quiet and still along the Missouri River. Small farming towns like this one had once thrived in America, but now they sit empty and dusty. But on the outskirts of town, up a long rural dirt road, sits a long since abandoned farm, or something that resembles a farm anyway. The rusty walls of the remaining buildings on the property give off the same haunting feeling that the crimes committed there conjure up. This is a site that a group nicknamed the Compound Dwellers called home. It was here that a false prophet, who called himself the Archangel, ruled over a small neo-Nazi civilization of four queens, twenty servants, and one very sexually abused goat. Damn, Far Cry 7 got fucking weird. <laughs> Yikes, dog. Today, we're covering the Compound at Rulo, Nebraska, and its leader, Michael Rudd. first name business yeah anyone who has two first names is usually a bad person uh you hear that robert timothy yeah robert (laughs) timothy uh uh, ricky bobby um (laughs) so before we go any further i want to give you guys some sources my sources for today's episode are biographies on www.irs.gov multiple articles featured in the lincoln journal star the article Farming in the 50s and 60s by Bill Gansel. How sexy were those tractors? Oh, those tractors. Um, were they measured in hose power? Hose power. Is it a horse? No, because I was thinking of farming. You know, the sad thing about these jokes that we're making is a lot of time uh, the, the events that become deadly stem from uh, farmers who basically feel like they're being dicked over. But yeah. uh, I think it's bullshit. I think they're all crisis tractors. <laughs> God, I hope you get good gas mileage on that tractor because that was a long way to go for that bit. Hey, back I, in the saddle. I feel soiled. <laughs> <laughs> Trial testimony from the state of Nebraska versus Michael W. Ryan. And finally, one of my favorite books of all time. Armed and Dangerous, The Rise of the Survivalist Right by James Coates. We've used this a couple times. Yeah, this book is uh, one of the best books about like really niche groups that stem from the Christian identity movement uh, and Elohim City. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a really, really interesting book, and I highly recommend that everyone go read it. So, Michael Ryan was born on August 3rd, 1948, in the small farming town of Anthony, Kansas, or Tony, Kansas, to its friends. (laughs) Tony, Kansas here. Do you need a mattress, but you don't have no money? You could get a mattress for zero down, and we'll throw in a used stool. Like the chair, not like a shit. Come to Tony, Kansas. These prices are crazy. Hey, come on down to Tony, Kansas. We got so much weed, it looks like a field of spaghetti out there. I swear to God. What is that, a cornfield? No, we grow breadsticks by the vine. <laughs> by the breadsticks vine? Breadsticks the vine? That makes no sense. Hey, welcome to Tony, Kansas. We're living here. <laughs> So during Michael's lifetime, things in Tony, Kansas uh, were quickly changing, and not for the better. <laughs> but for the butter, like those breadsticks. <laughs> I can't breathe. I have multiple inhalers if you need them. Oh my them. god, I love you guys so much. Okay. Now before we go any further, I want to say, I'm not an economist, but I have done a lot of research for this episode. Oh, good. Good, good. Yeah, I, uh... <laughs> 
throwing shade. I'm a big <laughs> history fan, and the context of what was going on is going to provide a little bit of insight into Michael's life later, and also the reasons that people were reacting the way that they were. At the end of World War II, the squeakle to World War One. Right. Uh, <laughs> World War Two, Hitler to Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> In 1945, America went through a huge economic boom, but this growth came with a significant amount of change. Fewer people produced goods, and more work became centered around providing services. By 1956, when Michael would have been about eight, most Americans had white-collar jobs. This is stuff like working in an office, or teaching, or salespeople, or being the spokesperson for Tony Kansas. Come on down! (laughs) I promise not to hit you that hard. Is that... Is that one of those inflatable dancey guys? No, that's just my cousin Ronaldo. <laughs> he has a whole world now. I love this bit so much. <laughs> this is my favorite racist bit about Italians ever. I'm so Italian. I if you don't believe that we have the best prices, just ask our lawyer. I'm just a simple gator lawyer <laughs> representing my good friend, Tony Kansas. This got out of hand real quick. <clears throat> Spiders. Right. <laughs> We've got a whole world here. <laughs> All right. So we as a country were actually making huge strides in manufacturing, which made companies more productive. But a downside to this productivity was that it became much easier for them to mass produce agriculture. And with farming becoming the next big business, family-owned farms found themselves unable to compete and were either forced to take lower rates on crops or just quit altogether. So the price in food at supermarkets is actually staying the same or going up, but the price that they pay for the crops themselves are continuously going down because why would I go to a fucking... Michael Ryan in Tony, Kansas, when I can go to, uh, like, a big town like um, Anthony, Kansas. I mean, it's well, the same shit as a fucking iPhone now. Yeah. I mean, it costs them nothing to make it, but we pay more for it every time. Exactly. But Why? it's also, they, they, they just... They just make so much more so much faster that it's much more cost-effective for them to buy the cheaper product in bulk. Yep. My grandfather had a, like a family-owned farm, and he was a World War II veteran. And when he came home, he not only ran a farm, but he also had a full-time job to actually be able to support his family because the problem with crop prices is it's so – even if you have, like, insurance, it fluctuates so much the – depending on what the market will bear that you could as a farmer raise a full crop sell all of your crop and still go broke yeah still not make what you bought the seed for because the the price that people would pay is so low yeah Yeah. plus you got to afford those fancy tractors with the computer taped on them so (laughs) i got mine at tony kansas (laughs) tell them tony kansas sent you (laughs) unless it's john don't mention me if it's john (laughs) He does not like me. All right. That's uh, John Wait. Georgia, by the way. <laughs> oh, I, I was going to say he doesn't hold you dear. Uh, hey. John Georgia, Jingle Hammer Schmidt. So during the 1950s, when Michael Ryan was growing up, the town of Anthony, Kansas was, you know what? The town of Tony, Kansas. I'm just going to call it that. Tony, now. Kansas. The town of Tony, Kansas. And many small farming towns like it had to watch the rest of America explode uh, in a good way, <laughs> while they suffered a kind of mini depression brought on by everyone else's success. So there's not a lot of information about Michael's childhood. In one of the only pieces of information that I found in the case against Michael, the state of Nebraska, and this is from a court document. This is not me thinking this. This is the state of Nebraska declaring this. They said that Michael Ryan was, quote, a very dull boy. You know how fucking boring you have to be that the state of Nebraska th- calls you dull? Like, yeah, he's got a fucking stamp collection. Like, <laughs> get outside once in a while. <laughs> the most exciting- Everything outside is flat. What could be less dull than the outdoors in Nebraska? I mean, that's probably true. Or Kansas, true. wherever we are. Well, it's a, so he's in Kansas. He's born in Kansas, but eventually he'll move to Nebraska. So when they try him, they try him in Nebraska. Okay. 
Um, also, first of all, the most exciting man in all of Nebraska is just the one guy who saw 12 cornfields in one day. <laughs> and he's like, wow, there's so much corn. I think I saw a baby corn. Secondly, if you've ever gone to the Midwest and you see how flat everything is, it's so much easier to understand why people believe in flat earth theory. <laughs> if anyone ever tells you that they believe in the flat earth theory, just take them to San Francisco. <laughs> they, yeah, for sure. There's just fucking hills that you are unfathomable otherwise. So around 1963, Michael started attending high school where he proved to be the other definition of the term dull. To put it politely, he was uh, a big dumb boy. Scientology said that he actually has an average IQ. All right. (laughs) Calm it down. And like most big dumb boys, the only thing Michael cared about was playing high school football. Now, okay, I too can be labeled a big dumb boy. For listeners who aren't aware, I'm six foot five and well over 300 pounds. I'm you can a, run through a motherfucker's face. Yeah, I could run through most walls. I broke a <laughs> chair the other day, sitting down. Like, no, nah, I didn't jump on the chair. I was sitting in a chair and the chair went, I don't know about this one, fam, and then just broke. <laughs> And as most of you are aware, certain alien-themed religions will tell you that Armando Torres is not the smartest boy. Ergo... Plus that whole ladder thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Plus anything that comes out of my mouth. So, therefore, your boy qualifies as a big, dumb boy. So it shouldn't surprise you that I also played football in high school. It's a crime if you didn't. Yeah, Because of this, I can tell you that generally there are two types of high school football players. There are people who are going places. These are the people who use sports to get into a good college or might even go pro. And then there's big dumb guys who just want to hurt people. And I'm sure as soon as I said that, everyone can picture at least one dude from back in high school. Michael Ryan was that guy. He was six foot two and 235 pounds. He was a really big guy. He was also extremely dumb. His grades stayed in the D minus range for most of his high school career, which lasted until he was 20 years old. What? Wow. Yep, because in America, you he can stays st- getting that D. Yeah. <laughs> In America, you can stay in a a normal high school until the age of 21, at which point you have to leave high school and get a GED. Fun fact, uh, Canadian uh, rapper slash actor Drake didn't graduate high school until he was 25. I think it depends on your school, because some schools will make you go to continuation high school after the age of 18. But at this point, back in the day, in the 50s and and early 60s at the latest, they would have just been like, yeah, fine. Most people got married at 16 anyway. What you still doing here? So because of uh, because he stayed getting the D, as it were, Mm -hmm. the school finally decided that his grades were so low that he wouldn't be allowed to play football anymore. So in 1968, at the age of 20, Michael Ryan dropped out of high school just two credits away from graduation. Since he couldn't hurt anyone on the field, he did the next best thing. He went to Vietnam. Oh, well, yeah. Okay. Since Michael volunteered to go to Vietnam instead of being drafted into Vietnam, he had to serve three years instead of the two that most draftees got. But one thing I didn't know about the Vietnam War was that infantrymen were only in Vietnam for a total of one year at a time. So the rest of his time in the army, those other two years, were spent either training or the year after he got back from Vietnam just kind of kicking it. I guess. So he was in Vietnam for a total of a year, and he never saw combat, which is pretty fortunate for most people who go to Vietnam. That's impressive. Yeah. Yeah. But Michael did learn his way around weapons and the brutal techniques used by both sides during the Vietnam War, which is a fucking brutal sentence. If you've ever seen war documentaries, if you've ever had a shitty stepdad who likes to watch war documentaries, then you know that there was some pretty deep, dark shit going on yeah. at the time. Yeah, it's real real messed up. So shortly after Michael returned to the U.S. in 1969, the sexiest year, 1969 A.D., the year of our orgasm. Thank you, Lord. Uh, it's also the year of Manson, Church of Satan. It's yeah, like a lot. The year of our orgasm. All of those things are centered around orgasms. Here's a knife. Come on. <laughs> in 1969, he met and married his wife, Ruth. 
By the mid-70s, Michael and Ruth lived their lives in working-class anonymity. And the anonymity. Anonymity? I can never pronounce that word correctly. Menomina. I live in the city It was here in Whiting, Kansas, where they raised two sons, Dennis and Alvin. Alvin! Dennis! That's how I talk to my cat, Dennis. And their daughter, Mandy. Oh, it would have been better if she was named Dennis. (laughs) (laughs) This is my daughter, Dennis, and my son, Dennis. (laughs) And Alvin! Get it like the chipmunks? I fucking hate my kids. (laughs) After he was discharged from the army, Michael found work as a long-haul truck driver delivering cattle and pigs throughout the country. But he was apparently fired because of his addiction to this new drug called marijuana. Ooh. Oh, I thought you were going to say he was, uh, he was fired for fucking the animals. <laughs> Puffing really on the know. jazz cabbage, eh? <laughs> Welcome to Tony, Kansas. Hey, we keep a little something extra in the cornfields. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I'm talking about the devil's cabbage. Hey. hey. Also, how much weed do you have to smoke to where being a stoner gets you looked at by a bunch of methed out truck drivers? I know. And they're like, you have a problem. They're like, I know we're on mescaline, but you need to cool it out. You need to calm down. So Michael worked as a laborer, taking jobs wherever he could find them. It was through this line of work that Michael was introduced to the doctrine of a group called Posse Comitatus. We've covered the Posse before, but usually in conjunction with Christian Identity Movement and Elohim City, but they're also one of the groups that came to the aid of Cliven and Amon Bundy. Ooh. So you weren't far off with suspecting that maybe he was into those cows. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Bow, 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 bow. He wants to make a move. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Little shake and bacon, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> She's utterly gorgeous. <laughs> I'm just going to keep milking these jokes for all I can get. Yeah. A cow and every udder is a different punchline. <laughs> But assuming you don't remember the intricacies of white supremacist groups like I do, which is pretty fucking likely, I own Nazi money, goddammit. I am the expert on crazy white people. Me and people that work at Starbucks. Us two are the experts on crazy white people. Different sides of the spectrum, but... You know what? Back when I worked at Sir Latab, I too was an expert in crazy white people. And I find myself forgetting. Like, I got stuck in line the other day at a store, and I was like, what is taking so long? And I was like... Oh, there's a middle-aged white woman at the cashier telling everyone her life story. <laughs> I forgot that this happens all the time. So I'll give you a quick recap on the group. Posse Comitatus was originally organized by a retired dry cleaner in Portland, Oregon. And, I mean, of course, leave it to a dry cleaner to separate the whites and colors. So. Ah, there it is. They spent good. his whole career doing it, so why not his retirement, too? Plus, we're super into eugenics because we have all the hangers. <laughs> I'm a bad person. He said that he wanted to clean the master race, but he really just meant they're close. <laughs> the group was founded under the belief that there is no legitimate form of government or authority higher than, say it with me now, the county, county sheriff. sheriff. And this is something you guys might not have realized about that statement. If the county sheriff refused to uphold the will of the county citizens, he shall be removed by the posse to the most populated intersection of streets in the township and hung by the neck at high noon. Bitch, what? Yeah, that is... I don't think you can do that. I don't think that's allowed. How dare you? La Brea and Wilshire is busy enough. That's what I was going to (laughs) say. That's how you know that they come from a small town because stopping traffic in a big city would be fucking impossible. You're like, this county sheriff didn't do a job. And somebody else is like, I gotta get to work, you asshole. I'm on Beverly Glen and Olympic and I just need to get to the office. There's just a tied up sheriff and somebody standing next to him going, wait, wait. 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 Walk Wait. sign is on. Walk, Walk sign, sign is, is on. on. Hang sign is on. Oh. Oh. Instead of the little walking man, it's just the feet. Oh. Oh, that sound. I'm putting up a stop, the stop hand right now. It's blinking at you guys. Stop. A lot of members and chapters of Posse Comitatus also became indoctrinated into the Christian identity movement. So they also preached the belief that the true Israelites are not Jews, but are in fact white 
Americans who come from white Europeans. Fucking stupid. It is. White supremacist reasonings on how and why they're the dominant race are always fucking buck wild. Nazis, for instance, which I'm sure I will get to cover at some point in full, um, they believe that white people came from outer space to rule the world. Other groups... (laughs) Or from inside the hollow moon. Yeah. That's technically outer space. Well, I guess inner space. I don't know. Uh. They come from an inner tube (laughs) in the lazy river. Um... Other groups believe that ancient white scientists invented black people in laboratories. Yakubians. Yeah. So the backstory of Christian identity movement is predictably fucking ridiculous. Yeah. Let's get into it. So this is the part that you two and anyone listening who probably went to church at some point would recognize. In Genesis, there's a story of how Jacob spent a night alone on a riverside where he was approached by a man who proceeded to wrestle him until daybreak, and in the end, Jacob was given the name Israel, but the man refused to give up his own name. So Jacob came to the realization that he, the man he wrestled must have been an the angel. Rock Johnson? Oh, <laughs> no, we actually did cover this, but we covered it, I want to say, in the Nuwabian movement or in Yahweh Ben Yahweh way one of the black hebrew israelite groups yeah a lot of different groups will adopt this kind of theory but also i like that he came to the realization that the man must have been an angel because it sounds like to me he just had some steamy anonymous sex i mean the book says that it's god that he wrestled with god that at the end of the fight god dislocated his hip so he would always remember um but again none of us were there so (sighs) i think he just got laid it was so I bad think, that it broke his hip. Yeah, dude. And I think the guy was into it. I think they liked the anonymity of it. Anonymity. <laughs> the That's, anemones of it? Yeah, I think they liked the enemies of it. I uh, I think he, I think he was like, tell me your name. And the guy was like, that takes all the fun out of it. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to call you Israel. Yeah. This porn is weird. <laughs> Jacob, now named Israel, continued his life and had a whopping 12 sons, yeah. which began the 12 tribes of Israel. Yep. However, 10 of these tribes revolted and seceded, which makes it easy to see why racists really love this story, because it's just a bunch of guys seceding from a bigger group. Yeah. I could, I can almost see, like, some fucking racist in the back of church hearing this story and being like, hell yeah, brother. Yeah. <laughs> Secede! Eventually, the seceding tribes were conquered and became the Lost Tribes of Israel. According to the Christian identity movement, the Lost Tribes, led by the tribe of Dan, which I understand that it's real and that's somebody's name and that's where we get it from, but the tribe of Dan sounds like a nomadic pack of stepdads. It does. (laughs) We are the tribe of Dan's. We travel the lands watching ESPN and drinking all of the Bud Light we can find. In our chariots made of lazy boys. <laughs> Where are the pigs in the blankets? Um, yeah. That, that Who is- deleted my next game? <laughs> I'm looking at you, Tony Kansas. <laughs> so they believe that the tribe of Dan traveled far from their home and ended up in modern day Europe. So that would mean that the true Israelites, God's chosen people, were not actually Jews, but were instead white Europeans. Now, when you combine these two thoughts, white people being the true Israelites and sovereign citizen beliefs, you get an extremely toxic and hateful doctrine, which is that of Posse Comitatus. The Posse believes that the federal government is now in the hands of the Zionist occupation government, which is not a real organization, by the way. That's just uh, white supremacist talk for Jew government. Yeah, Jews control the weather, the entertainment, the banks. According to that. Yeah, Jews own the Weather Channel. That's what they're saying. <laughs> Actually, no, a black guy owns the Weather Channel right now. As a member of the posse once put it, quote, Our nation is now completely under the control of the international invisible government of world Jewry. <laughs> what? This is the second place for the most absurd racist sentence I've ever had. It doesn't even make sense it goes Ryu Hoakawa's <laughs> Chineseing of the mind, and then right under that, the world jewelry. Well, because here's what I was thinking: is if we're talking about jewelry, that's because every kiss begins with KKK. Uh, <laughs> hey! Yes, that's yes, so good. good. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what we came here to do. That's our podcast. Thank uh, you. We won't be making new episodes. That's the joke of the year. Or just anytime you use a race as a verb, it's not going to be good. Yeah. Yeah. 
You guys are really Irishing it up right now, aren't you? <laughs> no. I don't know what that means. That just means getting sunburnt. No, guess. no, it means pouring alcohol into it. And oh. then I'm gonna Irish up this coffee. Oh my god, that is what that means. Yeah. Jesus, you're right. <laughs> the second you turn a race or ethnicity into a verb, a verb that's it's when it's racist. racist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is what it is. So, according to the posse, Jews are in cahoots with <laughs> Satan in his plot to destroy civilization and undermine the rights of the poor white citizens by using the Jew-run Federal Reserve and IRS. That seems like... I don't believe this because cloven-hooved animals aren't kosher. (laughs) (laughs) I've also, I've heard this conspiracy that the Federal Reserve and the IRS are run by Jewish people countless times. And I don't understand where it comes from other than the fact that, like, the whole stereotype of, like, Jews are good with money. Yeah. That's it. So, in fact, I looked this up. And, in fact, currently, the commissioner of the IRS, Charles Reddick, is of German descent. (laughs) And in addition to heading the IRS, he's also the founder of the Vets Count Scholarship Fund, a donator to the Wounded Warrior Project, and an associate member of the Academy of Magical Arts. Wait, what? What? Yep. What, was, what was that last one? Yeah, he's, he... the, uh, he's the he's an associate member of the Academy of Magical Arts, which you should be more concerned with wizards running the IRS. Does this mean that he gets to get into the Magic Castle whenever he wants? That's literally what it means. That's where Amazing. the uh, Academy of Magical Arts is. Fuck is yes. that, wait, for real? Yeah. He is our current commissioner of the IRS is more at risk of being a wizard than he is of working for Satan. Which I guess those might go hand in hand. Never trust a magician. Yeah, I was going to say, he's be like, hey, where's the Federal Reserve? Right behind your ear. <laughs> <laughs> I found this coin. It's a penny. We're getting rid of them. We're getting rid of pennies. <laughs> Please do it. Yeah. So life had always been difficult for Michael Ryan. He wanted to play football and he wanted to hurt people. And he was told he wasn't good enough. Then he wanted to drive pigs and cows across the country, and he was told that he wasn't good enough. Hell, since his birth, the whole country seemed to tell him and his whole hometown that they just weren't good enough. But now, people just like him were telling Michael that not only was he good enough, he was in fact better than everyone else. And the troubles he was facing, the change that took away the simple easy life he should have had, well now those troubles had a face... Jewish people. Tony Kansas ain't gonna take this sitting down. <laughs> and in 1982, at the age of 34, Michael Ryan found himself in a motel room with a giant group of angry white men. Only these men weren't here to wrestle all night like you do down by a riverside. These men. <laughs> Call me Israel. These men were here for the sermon of one of the leaders of Posse Comitatus, James Wickstrom. Now, James Wickstrom was a short, chubby, angry little man. He looks almost exactly like Elton John if Elton John was full of hate instead of love and sequins. James. (laughs) I don't like that version of Elton John. Because I'm a rocket man. Burning every race that isn't isn't white. white. Ah, there it is. (laughs) James was one of the few open leaders in the posse, just like Elton John was one of the few open uh, rock stars. I don't mean that he was gay. I want to be clear about that. It's just that most members of the posse commentators, just like the Klan, were not open about their affiliation. But James Wickstrom definitely wanted everyone to know that he was a piece of shit. He ran three unsuccessful political campaigns on the platform of giving rights back to white Americans. And in order, he lost the race to be senator of Wisconsin, governor (laughs) of Wisconsin, and the chairman of a small town in Wisconsin. (laughs) And you know what they say, those who can't do teach so instead he preached the group's religious beliefs in his life science church he opened up a church and taught their political views at the christian liberty academy which is like where they taught their um the fact that we've talked about it before with cliven and amon bundy is they think that uh they just they just make up their own laws and they 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 make up their own warrants based off of who disrespects the quote unquote county. Mm-hmm. Basically just whoever put pisses you off. And he taught that at the Christian Liberty Academy, which is terrible, but somehow it's still slightly better than the Academy of Magical Arts. Yeah. Just a little bit. Never trust magicians. <laughs> What's that behind your ear? Nazi gold. Oh, whoa. <laughs> what? 
That's crazy, Grandpa. Are you going to die soon? Uh, He also held private sermons in small towns across the country to spread the doctrine of the Posse Comitatus. His sermons were compared to ones held by Christian revivals. The little man worked himself up to a fever pitch, commanding his audience to accept themselves as the true Israelites, fight the federal government, and most importantly, prepare for the upcoming apocalypse. So he is a rocket man. Yeah. Also, well, I want to be clear about something. When I say apocalypse, I don't mean like the traditional fire and brimstone that most people would assume. They had the Turner Diary style apocalypse, which just means a race war that ends the world. Mm. And in that motel room in 1982, James Wickstrom gave his sermon and then brought the incredibly large Michael Ryan on stage to show the group his method of talking directly to God, the arm test. What? Now, the arm test is a simple trick. You put, you have somebody put their arm up at a 45-degree angle, which is the Nazi salute. Paige is doing it, and then I'm... realized what it was, and then quickly put her hand down. <laughs> no, but you're demonstrating. Yes. You put your arm up at a 45-degree angle, and then somebody places one hand on your shoulder and the other hand on your wrist. So that way, are you doing the Macarena? Macarena. So it takes two people. One person puts their arm up and the person administering the test puts their hands on the shoulder and the wrist of the person whose arm is up. Okay. What is this testing? So. What's your hypothesis? You do this. How does this meet the scientific method? (laughs) You do this. You ask a question and then whoever asks the question pulls on the arm and if the arm comes down, the answer is no. But if the arm stays up, then the answer is yes. And because it takes immense strength to oppose that, the answers must be coming from God. Or gains. (laughs) So... This is also known as the drop arm test. It's basically a method that people use to, to test if you've uh, injured your rotator cuff. Whoever is giving the test is almost always in control. Andrea and I tried this before, uh, and even I couldn't stop her. If she wanted to push my arm down, she could do it. She literally, whoever is holding the shoulder, because these muscles are less strong than the biceps, they're going to win unless they don't want to. By these muscles, he means your rotator cuff and deltoids. Yeah, those nerd muscles. Nerd. I took one anatomy class. I took an ass anatomy class and it was just, just butts. Just 420, dog. Crazy little thing called Don't butts. <laughs> when James Wickstrom brought Michael Ryan in front of the crowd, he asked, Yahweh, does Brother Ryan have the power? And Michael Ryan's arms stood up straight. And that's how Michael <laughs> Ryan learned that he had the ability to talk to God. Oh, so no. his... <laughs> His arm is a divining rod for yeah. white supremacy. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? So whoever has the power to talk to God is the one administering the test. So basically, you ask a question about or for the person who's holding their arm up, and if you have the power to talk to God, you just fucking yank down on somebody's arm. Now, 100%, Michael Ryan used the arm test to convince people of things that he wanted them to do. Because not only is it a parlor trick, but he is also an incredibly large and very strong man right so he's just walking around yanking people's arms halfway off going yeah i can talk to god through karate oh my god <laughs> but he also no chopping for jesus but he also truly believed inside that he could talk to god through the arm test his wife testified later in court that michael used the arm test in even mundane situations like should we eat beans or rice with dinner? If he was Mexican, he could have enjoyed both. True. Could have. True. He could have Mexicaned it up. That's what it's called when Damn. you eat beans and rice. And oh, I was going to say, I was like, is that what it's called, being like a super hard worker? Oh, that's sweet. That's sweet, you guys. Thanks. You're welcome. Also, could you imagine just being a waiter and uh, walking up to somebody and being like, okay, that's a good order, sir. Would you like the super salad? And then going, give me your arm. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Later in the same year, 1982, 
Michael began working as a feed salesman for Norbert Haverkamp. And while working for Norbert, Michael met the farmer's son, James Haverkamp. And the two became fast friends and particularly bonded over the beliefs of the posse comitatus. In fact, James became so devoted to the posse that on Christmas of 1983, he came to the dinner table carrying a Bible and a Ruger Mini-14 combat rifle. Oh, jeez. And after everyone opened up their presents, James Haverkamp gave his family their gift, a family copy of the videotape of James Wickstrom's sermon. So he was just like, you guys want to see this tiny Elton John motherfucker talk the truth? Oh, jeez. Here's a gun. You got to hold the gun while you watch it that's how we do it <laughs> it's racist rocky horror nazi man burning out the people that aren't white this is the part where we hold the bible up and then we shoot guns we shoot guns for the rest I of it love this guy <laughs> Well, most of the family was upset that they were basically playing the worst game of white elephant. Oh, my God. White supremacist elephant. Oh, my God. How did I miss that? All right, elephant. Oh, my God. I didn't even write that down. That's great. Anyway, some of the Haverkamp family was into it. James Haverkamp's mom, Maxine Haverkamp, and his sister, Cheryl Gibson. And when Cheryl returned home, she told her husband, Lester Gibson, that she would be leaving the Catholic Church and accepting the Christian identity way of life, as well as preparing for the upcoming apocalypse. And when Lester protested, Cheryl said it didn't matter, because at Christmas, a man named Michael Ryan had done the arm test on her, and it turns out that according to Michael, Cheryl and Lester weren't married in the eyes of Yahweh. And for a year, the couple had issues stemming completely from Cheryl's newfound devotion to the posse and a man that she believed to be a prophet. And one year later, in 1984, she filed for divorce and took her and Lester's five children with her to move into a two-story farmhouse in Whiting, Kansas. Her new home was on the property of Michael Ryan. It's just a jump to the left. <laughs> and then a step to the way. <laughs> and then you leave your husband tonight. So he ruined this marriage, which, I mean, if you really want to read into it, it probably seems like she may have just been looking for an excuse. Yeah, no, I feel like there were probably other underlying issues. Because if I just, like, came home today and was like, Jake, by the way, I now believe that John Mayer is God. And so I'm going to move to his house. He'd be like, I'm checking you into the hospital. <laughs> This actually plays a bigger role later into something we'll get into into the next episode. But uh, she was basically started to hate him because she believed that he didn't hate black people enough. Oh, no. Yeah. So that's where a lot of their tension came from. Around this time is when Michael Ryan met a young pig farmer from Rulo, Nebraska named Rick Stice. Now... How Rick ended up at the posse meetings is perhaps one of the saddest stories I've ever heard, possibly only topped by what happens to Rick and his family once they join Michael. So, in the years leading up to the 1980s, the Stice family had barely been able to compete with the mass farming that had been sweeping the nation. Just like their neighbors in Kansas, the farms in Rulo, Nebraska had also been forced to take less money or shut down completely. And in order to save money, Rick Stice decided in 1982 that he would have to cancel his family's health insurance. Mere weeks after making that decision, Rick's wife, Sandra, contracted Hodgkin's disease. Oh my god! Now, Hodgkin's is a form of cancer that, while no form of cancer is good, it is considered to be one of the most treatable forms of cancer. Yeah, most people live. Oh, it's Hodgkin's lymphoma. Yeah. For those yeah. That, you don't, that don't know. Unfortunately, those treatments would be impossible without insurance and with their only income coming from a failing farm. So Rick Stice made his way to a sermon by James Wickstrom, and James gave Rick a, a recommendation for an iridologist. Now, iridology is an alternative medicine technique no. where an iridologist looks at patterns and lines in a person's pupil to see what sort of disease they have and how it can be treated. And the posse comitatus, who had their own iridologist, suggested that the best cure for cancer was massive doses of vitamins and a strict kosher diet. You fucking idiot. You killed your wife. I'm so mad at you. The posse comitatus didn't believe in mainstream doctors because, and this sounds like a joke, but it's not, 
Too many of them were Jews. Oh, jeez. So they mostly believed in alternative medicine, which is good because fuck these idiots, but is bad because people like Sandra, who did literally nothing, had to suffer because of it. On April 24th, 1983, at the age of 25, Sandra Stice died in her rocking chair in the Stice family farmhouse. She had not once been seen by any form of actual doctor for her disease. She was buried in the Rulo Cemetery plot overlooking the Missouri River. Oh, I'm just really upset because of how super treatable Hodgkin's lymphoma is. I used to work doing PET CT scans, and we had a guy come in, uh, and you can see on the scan when someone's body has cancer. Yeah. So his whole body was just writ like tumors everywhere. And I was like, oh, my God, like this kid is going to die. And he was like really young. He was like 22, and he came with his wife and mother. And it was just like, oh, my God. And then he came back a year later and he was fine because it was Hodgkin's lymphoma. Like, mm. we re-scanned him and he was totally clear. It was amazing. Wow. But he had medical treatment. He didn't have some doctor with a divining rod yeah. telling him what to do. Like Rick and his three children returned to the farm and tried to rebuild their lives. He continued to attend posse meetings even though their advice led to his wife's death. And within days of the burial... Michael Ryan made a visit to Rulo, Nebraska to tell his new friend that Yahweh disapproved of him raising swine. Using his infallible arm test, he proved his theory, which basically just means that he showed up to this guy's house one day and was like, hey, brother, sorry to hear about your wife. Can I see your arm real quick? Yeah. Rick agreed to follow Michael and Yahweh's advice and shut down the hog pens on his farm. But since the pigs were the only slightly profitable part of Rick Stice's farm, the Richardson County Bank foreclosed on the property. Oh, no. And under Michael Ryan's direction, James Haverkamp, the son of Norbert Haverkamp and the giver of the worst Christmas gifts ever, went to Richardson County Bank and bought the Rulo farm, and Michael Ryan and his small flock of followers moved onto the property. Michael was following James Wickstrom's advice. He was building a compound to survive the apocalypse. Do you think that he knew that if the guy got rid of his pig farm, that he could buy his land for cheap? Do you think that was part of his plan, or do you think it just kind of worked out that way? I don't know. Michael Ryan shows some forms of being kind of a good strategist in ways, in a kind of evil fucked up way. But he's also, and I'm just setting up how he got the compound, Mm -hmm. and we'll cover next week everything that happened inside of the compound. But he is a sadistic fuck, almost as equally as he is a dumb stupid motherfucker Mm. he is really stupid Mm. in the night michael ryan who had taken to calling himself the archangel looked over his new compound with a joint on his lips a bible in one hand and a gun in the other he surveyed the site where he believed that twelve thousand soldiers would come to fight for him during the end times But almost nobody, not even the fake prophet, could have foreseen the nightmares that took place on the Rulo compound. And that's where we'll pick up next week for the Compound Dwellers Part 2. So next week, like I said, we're going to cover everything that happened on the compound. This includes robbery, murder, and the saddest story about a goat that you will ever hear in your entire fucking life. Sounds pretty bad. (laughs) (laughs) You son of a bitch. (laughs) Hey, uh, I was wondering, could we, uh, could we maybe like do a petition to stop Andrea from doing bad jokes? No, I I have the perfect idea of how to do it. Give me your arm. Let me see your arm. (laughs) (laughs) Can this get me to sing on key? Yeah, I just love that. I love the thought process of him walking around just being like, because he couldn't. This is this is kind of what I mean about his stupidity. Is he he knows deep inside that he can get anything he wants by just forcing another man's hand to go downwards. Right. But in his brain, he also believes that it works. Right. So he knows that it's a trick, but he also is kind of like, but what if God just wanted beans the same night I wanted beans? Ooh. I don't like this guy. 
you're gonna learn to hate him even more. This episode has been pretty light and funny, with the exception of like a fucking oxygen lifetime movie or whatever at yeah. the end. But the next episode is gonna get real dark. I guess one of the only things that makes it a little bit better is that this story does not include anyone taking over a national park. Yeah. So at least there's that, because our national parks need to be defended. And I'm not talking about with guns. I'm talking about with t-shirts, posters, and dog collars. I'm talking about Open Skies Trading Company. That's the new jingle I wrote for them. It's got everything. Open Skies Trading Company is a great place that has great products and every purchase that you make they will donate one dollar to the national parks foundation the national parks foundation fights to make sure that the national parks stay safe and sexy yeah if you want to see the products that they have you can go to openskiestrading.com you can also find them on facebook and instagram at openskiestrading co that's openskiestrading co and guys, we're still promoting our live show. Live show. Come and get it. Yeah, we're really excited. On June 29th at 7.30 p.m., uh, we're doing our live show in San Diego at the Comedy Palace. It's going to be so much fun. If you went to our show in Kansas City, you know how much of a blast we had. It's going to be just as fun this time. Yeah, it's the same show that we did. It's about the Chicago Rippers. Which is also a terrifying group of fucking psychopaths. Yeah, for sure. So I really hope that you guys can come make it down. Tickets are available at cultpodcastshow.com slash San Diego. Or you can go to cultpodcastshow.com and head over to the shows tab. Tickets are $10 and are on sale now. Woo! $10 online, $15 at the door. So get them early and get them sexy. Sure. Get those sexy tickets. Get them cheaper than you would at the door. (laughs) Nothing turns me on like a deal. Hey. That's why I'm not allowed to watch Deal or No Deal anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Sir, this Walmart electronic section is not your boudoir. (laughs) Fine. I'll leave, but you got to clean up on the briefcase aisle. If you want to make, if you want to call the banker for me, uh, which was a character on this show who was never shown, but I'm pretty sure he was uh, an associate member of the Academy of Magical Arts. If you want to talk about the banker from Deal or No Deal with me, you can do so on Instagram and Twitter at Mondo Does Stuff. That's M A N D O Does Stuff. You can also find all of my show dates for stand up comedy and more at MondoDoesStuff.com. Uh, if you want to send me uh, a bunch of Tony Kansas memes, oh yeah, <laughs> please, please do. You can send those to at Page Wesley on Twitter or at Rampage Wesley on Instagram. Start a fucking compound on me, I dare you. Tony Kansas doesn't let nobody do nothing. <laughs> if you want to send me pictures of your sexy, sexy tractors, please send them to me on all the things at Sundress Comic, uh, or check out my art at Andrea Gazetta. Hell yeah. And if you like our show, you can follow us on Instagram at Colt Podcast. Or on Twitter at Colt Podcast Show. You can also send us an email to coltpodcastshow at gmail.com. Or if you want to send us, like, I don't know, proof that white people actually were made in a lab, you Ooh. can send that to 3756 West Avenue 40, Suite K, number 237, like, like the, the Shining, Shining, Los Angeles, California, 90065. And if you want to find that address and more, you can go to our website, which is com. And I think for this one, I'm going to say don't drink the goat milk. Oh, no. I mean, we haven't gotten to that yet, but... You're not going to want to drink anything that comes out of this goat, especially because it's a boy. Oh, <laughs> oh no. God. So in this case, goat milk is just calm. Oh, and don't drink the Kool-Aid. Bye. Bye. Bye.